Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. That wasn't bad. That was, I think you almost started clapping there for a second. It's exciting. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. I hope you had a great week and a great weekend. We haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, my name is Chris, and I have the honor of serving as senior pastor at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. If you have a copy of God's Word, physical or digital, why don't you meet me in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we will be today. As you turn there, let me do a few things. Let me once again welcome our first-time guests today. You are our VIPs. And so let's make some noise for all the VIPs here in the room and maybe even online. So thankful you decided to worship with us, and I pray that you are blessed by being with us today at BT Church. We also, those of you in the room here, we want to welcome our BT Online family. So make some noise for BT Online, watching from wherever it is that you are watching today. Uh, we at BT Church believe in a culture of celebration. Uh, the reality is that, that if you stop celebrating, then you start getting cranky, right? And we don't want to be the cranky church that, you know, just kind of always has a scowl on our face. Um, l- l- let me say this. You don't have to look hard or far to realize the world is messed up. Like, wa- watch the news, right? Uh, j- just spend a little bit of time, you know, anywhere in society, and, and you can see that it's broken, you, you read enough, some people that study statistics with the church would even say that today for the first time, um, some people are saying that biblical Christianity is losing ground. Now, if you're reading some of those reports, let me encourage you. Um, so there, there are some factual evidence that, that biblical Christianity could indeed be losing ground in America, which is heartbreaking. But remember, the world is much bigger, and the, biblical Christianity is exploding in closed countries today literally exploding, like growing like crazy. So we, we, sometimes I long for that to happen in our country, amen? We want that to be the reality, but we have to look at the total picture. But, but what I'm saying is that the world is broken, and, and there is, there, there's hurt and heartache and disaster everywhere that we turn. We can see it. And, and that's why it's even more critical that we celebrate what God is doing. We might forget that he's actually still on the throne He's actually still in charge, and he is indeed actually still changing lives. And so for us at BT, we just think that the best way to keep our hearts positioned to remember who God is and what he's doing is to celebrate what he's done. And so we celebrate that here at BT Church, so far this calendar year, 270 people have said yes to Jesus as Savior, gone from death to life, and had their eternity rewritten. We celebrate that. We also celebrate that so far this year, and this is an insane number right here, that that after saying yes to Jesus, that's the first step, that so far this year when it comes to the second step that's called believer's baptism, 180 people have entered the baptistries of our campuses publicly professing Jesus as Savior, saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. Now, if you're in the room or watching online and you know, maybe you're new, you got a different church background, and, and you heard me say the phrase believer's baptism, you think, I've never heard that phrase before, why, why do you say that? Well, let me just clarify real quickly. At BT Church, we believe the only way to God is through his son, Jesus. We believe that Romans 10, 9, if anyone believes in the heart and confesses with the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, that you would be saved. That is the way to salvation. It is not about religious activity. It is about relational identity, okay? And so we believe that is the only way for men and women, children, boys and girls to be saved is by calling upon the name of Jesus. We believe that after saying yes to Jesus, the next step, which is the first step of obedience, is indeed to be baptized. We call it believer's baptism because if you're not a believer when you're baptized, it doesn't mean anything. Listen, you can be sprinkled as an infant, baptized uh, in a baptistry as a child, as an adult. You can do it in the ocean, do it at the church, do it in the Jordan River in Israel. It doesn't matter when you do it or how you do it. If you haven't first said yes to Jesus, then you're not being baptized as a believer in him. And, And so, again, we celebrate that 180 people that have said yes to Jesus have then stepped forward in obedience to publicly profess Jesus unashamedly as the Lord and Savior of their life. So we just, we take time each Sunday to celebrate what God is doing because we don't want to lose sight. And here's the deal, we, we, I'm blown away at those numbers. But every single one matters. Every single one matters. If there is one today, guess what? We, we're going to party like it was a million, right? And so we celebrate the work of God here at our church. We're, we're in the fourth week today in a series called Saints 
together. And what we're doing in this series is we're talking about how critical Christian community is. The fact that we weren't actually created to be lone rangers, right? We, we were actually created to do life together, not to live life as, as some type of ninja, but, but, but to, to live together, to grow together, to serve each other, to love each other. And what we're doing is we're looking at different relationships in the text. And so we spent two weeks looking at Paul and Silas while they were in prison. And we talked about how saints together can help each other in times of adversity. Last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 3, and we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as they were, they were challenged, also facing adversity, but in the midst of an ungodly culture. And we talked about how saints together, we're more likely to hold each other together in the midst of an ungodly culture than if we're doing things alone, right? And so we're not looking for Superman. We want to be Batman and Robin, right? And so some of you got that. Some of you, like, you, can, de- you can debate who's Batman and who's Robin, whatever. Um, all I know is that when Batman was in trouble, who'd he call? So who's the hero? When the hero calls someone to help him in trouble, so I'm, you know, I just, I remember when I was a kid and I'd watch the old show with Adam West. Remember that one? Wow. Anyways. And, you know, it's funny the things that stick with you. And there was one episode that I remember where this has nothing to do with anything. I'm just, memory lane, join me on a trip. And Batman, played by Adam West, is, is there in a helicopter, and he's, like, hanging upside down. And a shark is attached to his leg. I'm like, dude, that, that leg's a goner. But anyways, and, and Robin is in the helicopter, and, and Batman said, Robin, pass me down the shark-repellent bat spray. I'm like. You truly are a billionaire when you have shark repellent spray in your helicopter. So anyways, all that to say, bring it back in, we're talking about doing life together and how critical it is that we belong together. Listen to me. Part of what we experience on a Sunday morning is life together. And let me say this. If you're watching online, let me say, you know, online has become a gift. Because if you're not feeling well and you, you, know, you live close to one of our campuses and you have to stay home, you can still engage in worship from home while you're not feeling well. If you travel out of town and you want to you wanna engage in worship with your home church, you can do that. But, but in today's world, we have some people watching online right now that don't live close to a campus and they're choosing to engage with BT. And I just want to say this, if you're watching online and that's you, refuse to watch the service alone in your living room, all right? Invite somebody with you, turn your home into a house church. We need to do life together. And so part of life together is experienced when we come together for corporate worship. But I want to say this, and these are some hard words, if this is all you experience, this is not enough. This, this type of community, I say it all the time, it's like a pep rally, right? Pep rallies are awesome. High schools have pep rallies to fire up the team to go play the game. We play the game out there. We encourage each other in here. And between pep rallies, you need some time with the team to remind yourself that it's going to be okay. So at BT, we, we have community groups where small groups get together to pray and go through the text of Scripture that we preached that weekend and, and encourage each other. We have men's and women's studies on Wednesday night here at the McAllen campus. And Thursday night, we have H2O. There are opportunities for you to experience community. We encourage every member of BT to join the dream team of BT, right? That's our volunteer base. And the, the beautiful thing about the dream team is you're serving in kids or students or first impressions, worship, wherever it might be, and you have yet another layer of community. And the, the, here's the power of community. When, when you feel down and out, and all of us do at times, when you feel down and out and Sundays are hard to get yourself out of bed and to church, the community group or the dream team you serve with, you have more people looking for you when you're not there. And pulling you back when really you just want to retreat away. And so that's what we're talking about. If you've missed one of the sermons of the series, you can catch up online. All the sermons are there. Easy way to do that. Go to YouTube, search BT Church, and find all of the past uh, sermons. But today what we're going to talk about in Acts chapter 9 is we're going to talk about what it means for saints together to believe the best. What does it mean to believe the best? Here at, the B, at BT, our staff, we have six staff practices, and one of our practices is believing the best. And, and, and what I say to the staff is that every situation presents the opportunity to believe the best or assume the worst in each other as a team. And we're going to lean into believing the best. Now, now, when I say believe the best, there are usually 
two groups that get formed when I say that. One group is like, amen, hallelujah, we got to believe the best, and everything's always rose-colored and Pollyannish, and there's never anything bad, and that's not accurate. Believing the best doesn't mean that there are never bad situations. Believing the best doesn't mean that sometimes we have to distance ourselves from some people, right? But some people, they hear believe the best, and, and they think, no, that, that's foolish. If I believe the best, I'm going to become a doormat, and I'm going to get taken advantage of. And that can't drive you either, because it didn't drive Jesus. So believing the best doesn't mean that we choose to be naive. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to disrespect. It doesn't mean we welcome abusive relationships. Believing the best when Christ is in the center of your heart means this. It means you live with a hopeful outlook of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You catch that? Sometimes that hopeful outlook is going to get challenged, but you choose to live with a hopeful outlook towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of us, we've been in a church before, maybe a church we belong to or we just attended when we were visiting friends or family, but we've, some of us have been in churches and the, the spirit of the room was not a hopeful outlook, right? The spirit of the room was tense, and, and, and everyone was assuming the worst. And I'm here to say that if we want to see the gospel go forward and lives be transformed, we, we have to live. I just say, we have to live with a hopeful outlook. And, and the reason why it's so critical, by the way, that we practice the disciplines of prayer and Bible study, quiet times, and we connect to the church, the reason why connecting to God is so important when it comes to connecting to each other is because if you're not connecting with God, it gets real easy to give up on each other. But when you connect with God and you're reminded of how often you and I miss the mark with him, and yet he never leaves us or forsakes us, then it's easy to go back into the fray sometimes, even of brokenness and difficult situations, and still believe the best with each other. And so we're going to look at a story today of what this looks like. We're going to look at a guy named Saul. Uh, his name became Paul, right? That's creative, but anyways. And, and so you maybe have heard of the Apostle Paul, pretty well-known guy. He wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. Uh, he went on missionary journeys all over Asia, places people had never been before. He started churches. In, in many ways, he, he is a hero of the first century faith and a hero uh, in really all of biblical Christianity. But before he became Paul, some of you know the story, he was Saul. And the book of Acts says that Saul was breathing murderous threats to Christians called the way. He was breathing murderous threats. He had authority from the high priest. That's like, you know, the, the big dog of the church. He had authority to, to seek out, to pursue believers to arrest them, uh, and potentially even to, to sentence them to death. And Saul was doing that. He was good at it. In Acts chapter 7, we get record of the first Christian martyr, the, the first believer in the new century to give his life for the cause of Christ. His name was Stephen. He was stoned to death. And Saul was present. He was kind of like presiding over it. And let me just say this, this is for free, not in the notes, but in Acts chapter 7, you look at verses like 54, 55, 56, they're about to stone Stephen and it says he looked to heaven and he saw God and he saw Jesus on the right hand of the Father. And as he's seeing this, he's crying out, saying what he's seeing. And then they put their hands over their ears, the people that are going to execute him, they put their hands over their ears like, la, 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 you know, they don't want to hear it. And then they put him to death. And this is why I bring that up. Stephen at the, you know, how do we live with hopeful outlook? Listen, I'm an optimist. And I'm going to talk about that when we get to the end of our time together. But, but even being an optimist, I recognize that people are going to let me down and I'm going to let people down. You say, well, why do you keep pressing in? Because at the end of the day, even if you let me down time and time and time again, I get to go back to the one who never will. And Stephen at his death, Stephen at his death was able to see the greatest community he have, which is not actually this community, but this one. And so this is Saul, okay? He's, he's persecuting believers. He's overseeing their execution. This is the dude we're going to meet in Acts chapter 9. What happened is Saul was actually traveling to a city called Damascus. And, and, and on his way to Damascus, he's going to, to, you know, issue more murderous threats. And on the way to Damascus, God, like, knocks him off his horse or camel or llama, you know, 
mode of transportation. Anyways, and, and so there's a blinding light, and he falls over, and he's blinded. He, he can't see anything, and then voice of heaven, Saul, and he's like, Lord, it's, yes, why are you persecuting me? And then Jesus reveals that he's, you know, I am the Messiah, and, you know, if, by the way, if you're ever, like, questioning if Jesus is legit, when you get blinded and then you hear a voice from heaven, questions are answered. Like, okay. So, so Saul receives direction, and he's told to go to Damascus, where he was headed. He's, he's told to go to Damascus and, and go to Judas' house on Straight Street, and then a guy named Ananias is going to come see him. And maybe you're familiar with the Bible. You're like, I thought that dude and his wife died. They did. Different Ananias, popular name. Anyways. And so a guy named Ananias is going to come see you. He's going to lay hands on you, and you're going to get your sight back. And so in a moment, Saul, this, this strong personality, leader of men, persecutor of the church, he is dependent upon people to lead him because he is blind to this place and wait for some guy he's never met to come pray for him. So all that happens, and then we pick up the story with God speaking to Ananias and we start seeing how God's going to call Ananias to believe the best. This is Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. Here I am, Lord, he replied. Verse 11, get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. This is not good news, right? Ananias gets instructions from the Lord to go and to visit this guy who has been persecuting the followers of Jesus. And looking at these first few verses, the first thing I would encourage you to write down when it comes to saints together believing the best is this, is that we help each other see what God sees. When we press into Christian community, when we're seeking God first and seeking relationship with each other, we help each other see what God sees. Many times this part of scripture, your Bible may have a subheading and it's called uh, Saul's conversion. And listen to me, the story rightly should be about Saul's conversion because anytime someone says yes to Jesus and receives salvation, that's the greatest work of God there is. You know, people with cancer being healed, the the, the, the blind receiving sight, those are great, but, but those are temporary. When God takes the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, that is eternal. And so Saul's conversion, it's a right subheading, but you could al almost put in parentheses Ananias' obedience. Because it's critical that we see Ananias' obedience. So, so how, do, how do saints together help each other see what God sees? Well, well for Paul or Saul, let me start there because it's easy. Saul was able to see the need for community. I mean, like, just like no spiritual insight here. He literally had to rely on people to get him to where he needed to go. He needed people to meet his needs because he could not see. Like he, he needed the practical hands and feet of Jesus to step in. So what, what Saul saw, by the way, that's humbling for a guy who's been in charge his whole life probably. But Saul saw that he actually, Saul saw, that's funny. Anyways, Saul saw that he needed people. But, but, but check out what Ananias saw. And I, I don't ever want to miss this. What Ananias saw is he, he saw how to see people while they're still in the process of looking like Jesus. He, he, he was taken to a place where God wanted to show him that he needs to see people not as they are, but as they could be. And beloved, I pray God would protect me and you and us as a family from looking down our nose instead of across our arm as we reach out at people that we think aren't where they should be spiritually. I've shared this story before. I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I'm thankful for that, but I, I had not yet said yes to Jesus until I got to college. And so when I was in high school and growing up, and I attended a small Baptist church in Alice, Texas, and, and I went there, and people at church knew one guy, and then I went to Alice High School Monday through Friday, and those people knew a different guy, and, and they didn't know each other, okay? 
I graduate high school and I go to college and my freshman year I, I give my life to Christ and I have new friends and I'm building uh, you know, friends that want to pers- push me to be like Jesus. And right or wrong, at 19 years old, I just really kind of cut ties with all my high school friends. Some of it was not because I didn't want to see them. I, I didn't go home a whole lot. I, I developed new friendships at the school I was at. It was 300 miles away from home. And I just didn't come home a whole lot. So I, I really, after graduating, I didn't see many of my high school friends, any if ever. I would graduate college and I would move to Dallas-Fort Worth where Chris and I would get married and I would pursue seminary and I would start serving in student ministry. And then I would come here to the Valley and serve as a student pastor. And then after 10 years of serving as a student pastor, God called me to serve as the senior pastor of a little bitty rural church, Alwoodle City Baptist Church, there outside of Alice. And so for the first time in 14 years, I was in Alice pretty often because you know you live in a small town when you go to Alice, like to live it up, right? And, and if you've never been to Alwoodle City, well, you, it's like walking the aisle here. It's like, oh, there it is. Anyways, just like put a blinking light in the middle of the aisle and you're good. Anyways. And so my, we would go to Alice to go to Walmart or H-E-B, and so I found myself more often in Alice, and what began to happen is I started to run into some guys I went to high school with that were still there. And I'll never forget one, one evening, I'm at Walmart in Alice, I'd been there in Alwoodle City for a few months, and this guy says, Dupree! And I, and I was like, whoa, that's, you know, I know that voice. And I turn around and I see this guy, and I've, I've also learned that what I thought is probably what he thought when he saw me. I see this guy, I'm like, man, I know the voice, but... I knew a guy that looked like you in high school, but I think, I think you ate that guy because <laughs> the years had not been kind. And then I'm like, well, probably true for me as well. Hey. And, and so once I realized who it was, we started talking and I, I hadn't seen this guy since high school. We played football together and, and he's like, man, what are you doing? Are you visiting? I'm like, no, I've actually moved back to the area. He's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, man, I'm the pastor at the Little Baptist Church in Awadulce. He goes, ha, 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 no. Like, really, bro, what are you doing? I was like, no. I'm. And, and I was kind of taken aback because, you know, for I'd been in ministry for 10 years. And, you know, 14 years ago, I gave my life to Christ. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm really doing that. And he was like, oh, okay. And what I realized is that the Chris he knew wasn't the Chris that God had, had planned. And, and, and I gave him reason not to believe that. But beloved, sometimes in the church, we start looking down our nose and the danger is we stop seeing things the way God sees them. And it's not that we turn a blind eye to sin. Listen, the greatest verse for community, Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine, hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. We're called to hate evil. When our brothers and sisters in Christ walk in continual disobedience, we call them out on it. And if they won't turn from it, we say, then, then go all in because you will find brokenness and then you'll come back. So it's not turning a blind eye to sin, but we don't see people as they are, but as they could be because we are all a work in progress. And Ananias was taught by the grace of God not to see Saul as the one breathing murderous threats, but as the one who God was going to use to literally transform the first century. He was, te- he was being taught how to see as God saw And so saints together, we help each other see what God sees. But let's continue reading, pick up in verse 15, the response. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Let me hit the pause button and just interject this real quick. We live in an interesting time where there there are two false gospels, by the way. Okay, let me just point, there are two false gospels. One of those is called the prosperity gospel. And if you, if you love Jesus, then mind, you're, you're going to fly first class and you're, you're not going to get sick and you're going to drive imports and have big houses and, and, and that's not accurate. But, but there is another false gospel that's the poverty gospel, just to be honest with you. You know, like if, you, if your shoes don't have holes in them, then you, you clearly don't love Jesus. Let, let me just teach this for a minute. Is that all right with you? It doesn't matter because I have a microphone and you're here. So um, let me just teach this freebie. Like we call this the sermon in the sermon, okay? You know, you know what, if we're honest, what you and I long for? We, we long for a clear list, right? Okay, God, like how much money do I have to give? Uh, how big of a house can I buy? Uh, what, how nice of a car can I drive? 
What brand of, and, and this, you, do you know why many times we want the list? Because with the list, we don't have to rely on God. But it's actually all about dependency. So let me just say this. So, someone, someone can live in a mansion and, and wear the nicest clothes and jewelry and drive a Porsche and all those things, and they can be fully surrendered to Jesus. And someone can live on the wrong side of the tracks, live in the smallest apartment, have no means of transportation, have no new clothes, and they can be as far from God. Just like someone can live in that same situation, have nothing of this world but be the richest person on the planet because Jesus is enough, and someone can have everything this world can offer, but they have lost their soul in that pursuit. It is not actually about the stuff, it's about him. But I point this out, that notice that when Jesus speaks to Ananias, he says, he is my chosen instrument. He's going to speak to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites, and he is going to suffer much in my name. Beloved, we can't lose sight of the fact that many times for the believer in this life, suffering is a traveling companion, and it is only when we share in the fellowship of his suffering that we then in turn share in the power of his resurrection. That's for free. Back to the sermon. So this is what happens. So, so what do we take away? Write this down. It's not only that saints help each other see what God sees, but saints actually help each other do what God says. Saints help each other do what God says to do. Ananias knew Saul in a certain kind of way. Most likely, Ananias' life had been affected by Saul's persecution, but at the minimum, he knew about it because when God says go to Saul, Ananias has great reason not to. All that Ananias knew is that Saul was pursuing Christians to persecute them. What Ananias was unaware of, praise God, God was pursuing Saul. See, it wasn't just that Paul was in pursuit. Jesus was in hot pursuit of Saul because he had plans for him. And so when, when Ananias gets the call from the Lord to go to Straight Street, to Judas's house, to lay hands on Saul so that he may regain his sight, he gives good rebuttal as to why that's a bad idea, right? Lord, I, I, I mean, I don't know all the Sauls of the world, but I think I know this one. And it's probably best that he stay blind because if he gets his sight, he'll probably punch me in the face and arrest me, right? He gives great rationale as to why he should not go to Saul's house and pray for him. Beloved, you ever tried to give God good rationale why you shouldn't be nice to someone he's calling you to be nice to? Yeah, it doesn't work real well, does not But this is what I love. Check this out. This is a great opportunity for, for God, for Jesus, to tell Ananias why it's going to be okay. You with me? This is a great opportunity, right? God, Ananias... Go to Jesus' house on Straight Street, find Saul from Tarsus, lay your hands on him and pray for him because he is going to get his sight back. Ananias, bad idea. That dude kills people like me. Let's leave him blind and let's go to another dude's house. Great opportunity for Jesus to say to Ananias, no, 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 you don't know. Like, bro, I knocked him off his llama. Like, he was, he was on the llama thinking he was all big and bad, and I, I pulled out all the stops. Blinding light. Voice from heaven, he was, that dude, he's like a dog with no teeth. You're good, Ananias, don't worry. Like, that would have put Ananias at peace, right? But notice, God says none of that. He doesn't tell Ananias what's happened. He's, all he says is, he's my chosen instrument. That's all we need to know, guys. Listen to me. Obedience is Obedience. He's my chosen instrument. He's going to do great things, and he's going to suffer in my name. Why are you pointing that out, Chris? Sometimes when we do life together, we help each other do the things God has said to do that we just don't want to do. Let me just tell you this reality. The faith journey many times is about going without knowing. Now, listen, you can always know who sent you. By the way, that's why prayer and Bible study and quiet time and community, that's why the spiritual disciplines are so critical. You can always know who sent you and trust him, but if you and I are not connecting to the source, spending time with Jesus, then when he calls us to go to the unknown, guess what? We ain't going. 
Many times faith is about going without knowing. The, the father of faith, Abraham, I love the story. Go to the place I'll show you. That makes no sense. That's what God said. Go to the place I'll go where you don't know. And so let me just issue some hard words because I love you. You know, many of us, myself included, we are answer-driven people, right? Like I'm, I'm like chief of sinners. Give me the answers, I, I, will, I will challenge and I want the answers. But when it comes to our faith journey, don't miss this, all right? If you require answers before you follow Jesus, I promise you, you won't follow him very far. We've got to check that at the door. Give him our yes. You're like, well, that sounds foolish. <laughs> Only to the world. Only to the world. If you, follow, if you follow Jesus enough, you know that the folly of the world is the wisdom of the kingdom. And Ananias, he doesn't get all the answers. He's just told that this is what God wants him to do. And sometimes we need people around us that when we start saying in community, hey, I feel like I need to do this. I feel like I need to go to this person and reconcile. I feel like I need to cancel this debt even though the person hasn't apologized. I feel like I need to uh, pursue my wife or pursue my husband when, when they don't pay any attention to me. I feel like I need to share the, 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 my, my faith with this person at work, but they're really just a jerk and they make my life miserable. And, and I feel like this or that. And when we start saying things that we feel God is calling us to do, but we don't really want to do, doing life together, not in an echo chamber, by the way, gives us people that are going to say, you should do that anyways, because God is saying to do it. When you live life alone, it gets real easy to be your own peanut gallery, right? I don't know if I really want to go and go to that person and have that conversation. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. We shouldn't do that. Yeah, okay, well, let's just not do it, right? But doing life together positions us to help each other do the very things that God has told us to do. And then verses 17 to 20 says this. Ananias went, don't miss that. He gave great, great argument. God said go, he still went. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. Let me, let me hit the pause button again. Normally I would wait to the end, but beloved, I want to point this out, that, that Saul encountered Jesus on the Damascus road in a supernatural way. By the way, every encounter with Jesus is supernatural. He gets to Damascus. He waits. He fasts, the Bible says. He's not eating. Ananias shows up. Says, Brother Saul, I'm the dude that God sent. Please don't punch me in the face. Lays his hands on him, prays for him. Something like scales fall from his eyes. Because Ananias said that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And don't miss this, it says he regained his sight, he was baptized, verse 19, and then after taking food, he regained his strength. The dude had been fasting, food was important. <laughs> the first thing he did is he was baptized by believer's baptism. I'm, I'm just going to like step out. You know, remember, that, remember back then when I, I said that point about, you know, saints together help you do what God says to do? That, that was the point I just made, by the way. I believe today that there are people in this room, and there's probably people online, but I believe there's people in this room that have said yes to Jesus and received the gift of salvation. And for some reason, confusion, questions, family pressure because of past tradition, I don't know, but for some reason you have not been baptized. Let me just say a few things. Your baptism, it does not seal your salvation. And not getting baptized does not remove your salvation. But the reality is you can have salvation and not have the joy of it. Because the joy of salvation is found in the daily walking with Jesus. 
And beloved, I don't know any other way to parse the scriptures but to understand that baptism is a call of obedience. Therefore, it is part of walking with Jesus. And I confess to you today for the first time in a long time, I think we're about two weeks, for the first time in weeks, maybe even months, we, we don't have a baptism planned here in McAllen. Let me just say this. You know, you don't need a baptism class to explain what, what it's about. We'll answer questions, hear me. But you don't need a six-week course, and, and you don't need to get all these questions answered. Beloved, if you know you have said yes to Jesus and you have received the gift of salvation, before Saul broke his fast, he acted in obedience. And in a few moments here in this room, we're going to have a time of response. And my challenge to you is to walk down these aisles and out that door to that info center and say, I need to get baptized today. We say it all the time. We've got shirts and towels and shorts and he's out ready to do baptisms. We just need people to get in the water with them. And so maybe today you need to, let me just say this, you need to quit playing games and step in obedience so that the joy and the fullness of your salvation will be experienced, not because you're not saved, but because you're not giving him all of your yes. Back to the sermon. So, so he's baptized, he eats, he regains his strength. It says, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time, the end of verse 19 and verse 20. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the son of God. Last point, write this down. Saints together help each other, help each other practically in God's strength. Like we, 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 lit, we practically, literally help each other, but you can only do that when you're in community. You can only receive that help and give that help when you're living life in community. Saul would receive this. He would spend some time with the disciples. He was given food, right? His strength was regained. He was taught the, the ways of Jesus because he had been denying and persecuting the way. And so he is literally receiving practical help and care. And that's one of the things we can do as a church. We can practically meet needs. Beloved, please don't ever underestimate the power of a simple gesture. Maybe you're giving someone a ride to church next week, and that ride to church may lead them to the way of life. Maybe you meet someone's need by providing a meal, and that, that meal that you've provided becomes a, 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 just a crumb of communication as to what the bread of life is, right? Never underestimate what the small, what the world calls random acts of kindness, what the church says acts of the spirit, right? And we start in here, and then we let it flow out there. We're, I'm not going to get into uh, you know, public policy and politics and those things today. Um, my, my encouragement to you uh, when it's time to vote is let the Bible be the standard, right? Let the Bible be the standard. You can only let it be the standard if you know the standard. So familiarize, familiarize yourself with the scripture, familiarize yourself with candidates, and then vote according to the scripture. Exercise the freedom that we have. There are policies that we can debate. We don't have time for that. It's not the place for that. One policy that's usually debated is the role of government assistance. No, there shouldn't be any. There should be more. There should be less. It should be more restrictions and all that stuff. I'll say this. A man called the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, pastor in England, he had something to say about the church and the English government's government assistance. The government was providing government assistance and people in his church were calling him to speak against that. And what he told his church, he said, there would be no need of government assistance if the church would do its job. Ouch. Let me tell you how that works. It starts in here. Acts chapter two, they, they shared everything in common. And, and listen, I confess, I, I wrestle with that practically. What does that mean? Like, do we just like drop our money up here? And if you need money, you take money. I mean, we're not doing that by the way, maybe next week, but Bring a friend. Next week's next week is take cash home week. No, um, but this is what I know. In, in, in reality, I, I believe that as time has gone on and as church looks like it looks today, which is not a bad thing, that's why community is so critical. In those smaller groups, you share your need and needs get met or we go up and we, we get church leadership involved. But I'm convinced that when the people of BT live life without lack, without need, people outside of BT are like, I don't know what's up with those weirdos at BT church, but they seem that I work with that girl and she's never got a need. I know she got laid off and she hadn't moved out of her house. She hadn't missed a meal. 
And you say, hey, what's the secret? The secret is the power of God in Christian community because I belong to a church that believes in meeting needs. And then that starts getting out. And yes, people are drawn to Jesus because they've heard he can do some stuff. That's okay. Then they find out who he is. Remember that 5,000 plus people showed up not because Jesus was Jesus, but because he was turning Lunchables into buffets. Fishes and loaves. I won't let that sink in for a second. That was good, y'all. You should laugh at that one. I mean, that's not, I didn't even write that one down. I just made it up. <laughs> Ain't no love in this room. Anyways. And so we meet needs in here, and we do meet needs. We, we seek to meet needs of community. But, but we also know that, that out there, the greatest need is always going to be Jesus. And so we, we live life in the power of saints together as we begin to practically meet needs, small steps. You know, I've been in ministry 22 years. And what's amazing is, and really this, this illustration just got more powerful last service. I'm going to share this with you and then I'm going to give you some next steps and we're done. I've been in ministry 22 years and when I first got into student ministry, um, I decided that I ordered some, some postcards that had the name of our church and our student ministry, and I, just, I decided I'm going to write 10 students a postcard every week. That's just, they're one of the text messaging, for one, so I was like, I'm just going to write 10. And, you know, like, hey, so-and-so, I just want you to know I'm praying for you, I'm proud of you, I saw you brought a friend last Wednesday. I've tried to continue that today, uh, I, you know, some weeks I miss, but I try, to write, I try to write five to 10 cards to people here in the church, and, you know, in 22 years... I would like to think that I've, you know, I've preached at least a handful of pretty good sermons. Yeah. Remember those small random acts, how they can really help people? Come on. I would like to think I've, you know, 10 years of youth ministry, 12 years being a senior pastor, I'd like to think I've de delivered some okay teachings. I I'd like to think I've provided good leadership, right? You know, the funny thing, by the way, in the, you know, <laughs> In this, this thing called pastoring, so everyone has spiritual gifts given by God. There is a gift called pastoring. Literally, the word is shepherding. Funny thing, don't have the gift, right? Um, you're like, I'm never coming back. Eh, I'm just kidding. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism to, to have the call of the evangelist. By the way, you don't have to work at a church to have the call of shepherding. Every believer is called the shepherd. But I, I don't naturally have that gift, so I, I wouldn't think that, that pastoring type things would be things that people like, man, that was, I really remember that. So, so you know, thousands of messages I've preached. I, when I was in student ministry, I would plan events. And, and I remember a few years after my wife and I had left Dallas, we were talking with a young lady who had been in our student ministry. And, and she, after, after we, we saw her, she, she actually, she, she gave us this canvas that she had painted and she put pictures on it and, and different things, but but one of the things that stuck out to me is on the canvas that she painted and she, she glued pictures, she glued one of those blue postcards that I wrote her. It said, hey, so-and-so, just want you to know I'm praying for this week. Hope you have a great week. I'm proud of you. She didn't know that I wrote the same thing to like five other kids and just changed the first name. I mean, like, I'm joking. I'm joking. But she put that on this canvas. And I remember thinking to myself, like, of all the things, events that were organized, and I shared that, I shared this illustration in the last service. And this couple came up to me, you know, probably late 40s, 50s. And the lady came up and she was actually a little teary-eyed and she opened her Bible and she pulled out a card that she received from me a few weeks ago. She said, I keep this in my Bible because it meant so much when we got it. Well, are you telling me I need to write cards? Maybe. What, what I'm saying is these small things that we think are insignificant, beloved, never, never underestimate what a small gesture can do in the hands of a big God. You don't, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be earth shattering every time. The smallest things tend to make the biggest differences. It doesn't mean that we don't pour in, like I study every week for a sermon I'm gonna preach, I believe I should do that. We, we wanna plan and execute and lead well but I recognize that probably years down the road, those things aren't gonna be remembered. And so beloved, we, we get to literally help each other, but you have to be in community to do the helping and to receive it.
And so, so, so what do we do? Let me just give you a few next steps as we wrap up today. A few next steps. First, you can write this down. What is one area God is calling you to go in? Maybe God is calling you to go to someone that you have a broken relationship with and to just release a debt. Not, not demand an apology. Not, maybe God's calling you to go give an apology. Maybe God's calling you to go to that coworker or that neighbor or that family member and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe God's calling you to, 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 to seek reconciliation when you're on the verge of divorce. I don't know what it is, but, but I honestly want you to think about what is one area where you can go this week and, and respond. It, it doesn't have to be mysterious, right? All of us have an area we can go. So the first word I'd like you to write down is go. And the second word I want you to write down is act. This week, I'm serious, this week, what is one act of kindness? What is one gesture of the spirit that you can perform to show people that Jesus loves them, to show them that that that, that you're there to meet their need. What's one act? Maybe you know someone who's been ill and they've been, they've been home and missed work. You know someone who's lost a loved one and you just need to call them or text them today and say, hey, tonight or hey, tomorrow night, don't give them the option, by the way, because here's the weird thing about our human hearts. Sometimes we don't want to help people and sometimes we don't want to receive it. And let me just kind of set the record straight because you're like, oh, I love to help. I just don't want to receive it. That's still pride. We, we, we've been created to have needs met. And so don't give them the option. Say, hey, I'm going to bring a meal tonight, the six or seven word. Oh, no, you don't have to. No, no, no. I am bringing you a meal tonight. You can pick the time. You know someone that's been home. They've been you know, off work. Text them, hey, I'm at HEB. I'm buying some groceries. I'm buying you th- these 10 items. If you need something else, let me know. No, 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 no. No, I'm buying these. This is your chance to get more. Go, go through a drive-thru today, right? It's simple. Pay for the person behind you and tell the cashier, hey, if you'll just tell that person that God loves them and I'd love to see them at BT Church, right? Pay, pay for the person at, at HEB checking out behind you, right? Also, please, before you leave, give me your license plate and vehicle color so I can follow you around this week. And <laughs> what, what, what's an act of kindness, right? So, so where can you go? How can you act And number three, how should you respond? Because all of this is predicated on responses. Let me remind you earlier that I think there are some of us, we've said yes to Jesus, we've got newness of life, we have the gift of salvation, and for some reason or another you have not been baptized, I am telling you today is that day. If you're in this room, in just a moment we're going to stand and sing and you need to go to the info center and you need to tell them I'm here to get baptized. If you're watching online, text us, BT Baptism. Just type that to the number 97,000. We'll reach out and we'll help you figure out how to get baptized wherever you're watching from. So, so maybe, maybe your response is something like baptism. Maybe for some of you, you've been attending BT for a while and it's time to move into membership. We're, we're in the middle of a membership class now. You can catch the next one in a few weeks. Maybe it's time to choose community, to quit just coming to the pep rally and start coming to some practices, right? And so you need to find out about community groups or you need to show up this Wednesday night for men's and women's studies or Thursday night. Some of you that are members, you, you need to start serving on the dream team. I'm just going to say, stop, stop just taking. Dozens of ministries, you can find one to serve in. That's a response. Maybe it's your finances. God, God's got your heart, but he ain't got your wallet. Guess what? Then he doesn't got all your heart. Because where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. But ultimately, let me close with this. Maybe today there's someone online or in this room, and your response is not believer's baptism, and it's not church membership, and it's not being generous with your tithes and offerings and it's not community groups and it's not the dream team and it's not random acts of kindness but your response today is saying yes to the king of kings your response today hear me it's the phrase I use often your response is not one of religious activity it is one of relational identity we believe the scriptures to be sufficient. You say, Chris, how can I know that I'm right with God? My, my past is so messed up. Guys, I live such a messed up past. I told the dude I was a pastor and he laughed at me. 
I've done so much, I need to do some good to outweigh the bad. No, no. Paul, this dude, right, Saul, became Paul, and he would write his magnum opus, the book of Romans, and, in, and he would say throughout the book, he would, he would say that the wages of sin, the payment of sin, is death. No one gets out of the sin debt. Beloved, hear me. If you do not say yes to Jesus, you will take your last breath, and this is not popular, but it's biblical. You will spend eternity in a sinner's hell. And I'm not trying to scare you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, you see there's a gift, is eternal life. And how do we know that's accurate? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Chris, how do I know I'm a sinner? All have sinned. Well, that sounds pretty hopeless. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still messed up, still sinners, still actively sinning, while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. While Saul pursued the church for persecution, Jesus pursued Saul for salvation on the Damascus road. Okay, I get it. I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. If I don't fix this with Jesus, then, 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 then my, death pays for his, my, my, my death pays for my sin. But God loved me so much that, that Jesus died for me. How do I put it all together? Romans 10, 9, if anyone would believe in their heart, that's the key, confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. God raised him from the dead. Dying on the cross, paid for sin, walking out of the tomb, defeated it. If anyone would believe in their heart, confess with the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. And so today, beloved, the question I have for you before anything else is have you said yes to Jesus? Because nothing else matters until you do. So if you're in this room or you're watching online before we continue in a time of worship, I want to give you the chance to say yes to Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? today, if you're not sure where you stand before a holy God because you don't know if you've received the gift of his son, I invite you to say this prayer with me. Let me be clear. The prayer is not a magic formula. There's no such thing. To mindlessly recite words at church does nothing. But if you know you need a savior, if you know you need the help that only Jesus provides, this is not a magic formula. It's a salvation confession, which is Romans 10, 9. So if that's you today, you don't know where you stand with Jesus, but today you want to get that figured out right where you are. Just say this prayer with me in this room, those online. Say this, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm far from you. And I know that I need you. And I believe that you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus to come to earth, to die on the cross, and to pay for my sin. And I believe he rose again three days later. And so Jesus, I am trusting you with my life. I am asking you to save me. Would you help me live for you every day of my life? And thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.